This is a bonus episode. You will enjoy listening more if you listen to the series Blind Rage. And be sure to visit me at facebook.com slash carolmu. I would love to hear from you and I would love to have you talk back. My mother always told me it's unwise to question God. If he wanted me to know, she said, he would tell me. Mother's faith was rock solid. Mine? No. Too many bad things happen to good people for no reason for me to really believe. I asked more than one priest why that was. One of them told me, if God is all-powerful, God can do what God wants to do. Yeah, but why? On the day Phyllis Cottle was attacked, a lot of people were asking that question. You know, if you believe in God or whatever you whatever it is, you think, you know, you hear people say, well, everything happens for a reason. We don't know what the reason is. She could have just stayed in that car and said, okay, I'm done, right, or whatever. That was Mark Williamson, who used to anchor the news on TV23 in Akron, Ohio. Does everything happen for a reason? The answer to that question nearly killed Phyllis Cottle. When doctors told her she would be permanently blind, she did ask why. And in those early days, she could conceive of absolutely no reason for what happened to her. She considered suicide. She had a plan. She had the pills and the will to do it until she felt a warm hand on her shoulder that she swore was God. Here's Phyllis's daughter, Diane. She actually went into the bathroom and she was going, because she had a lot of pain pills because of everything that had happened. She had some anti-anxiety meds and she was just going to take them all and end it. And she went into the bathroom and she just started crying uncontrollably. And because she was crying, she was trembling and she was just so upset. She dropped the pills on the floor and she's like, oh, great. <laughs> now you're trying to find them. And, the, and as she was down on the floor, literally trying to find these pills, she said all of a sudden, and she was, she was a religious woman, but nothing terribly religious. But all of a sudden, she felt a very calming touch on her shoulder. And she didn't really know who it was. And she, she truly believes it was God who said to her, don't do this. You're going to be okay. Just take a deep breath. Go back to your chair. He goes, you're going to have your bad days. Just go back to your chair. Just relax. And that she remembered. Every time she had a bad day, she just kind of, you know, she'd start crying. And she felt that calm hand on her shoulder. And she was going to be okay. And she truly believes it was the hand of God who reached down to her. From how she felt, what he said to her, she had better days ahead and her journey's not ready to be completed. She had a lot more to do. So that's... And she did have a lot more. Mm -hmm. She did. She did. I'm Carol Costello. This is Blind Rage Bonus Episode 2, A Spiritual Awakening. Akron, Ohio attorney Larry Vulliman was it back in the 80s. Not that he isn't it today. He is, but in a different way. But back in 84, if you needed the meanest, most aggressive, charismatic lawyer, that was Larry Vulliman. You were a really well-known attorney, successful, handsome, hard-charging in Akron. Well, okay, all those adjectives, you know, I didn't apply to myself. But, you know, if somebody, of course, wanted to say I was handsome, hey. Have at it. <laughs> <laughs> he was. 
is handsome and talented. Larry defended high-profile clients, ran for Akron City Council, and won. He worked hard, partied hard, until December of 1984, when his body betrayed him. A betrayal steeped in irony. He was in the midst of defending yet another high-profile client when his brain suffered the equivalent of a heart attack. Larry Vulliman, the brash, self-assured attorney, suffered a stroke. He fell to the floor in front of judge, jury, defendant, and the media. I'm 35 at the time of the stroke, okay, and I'm climbing my ladder of success. I've been elected an Akron City Councilman, and I, that's the reason I left the prosecutor's office. And so here I am. And, uh, uh, you know, I'd been divorced, too, uh, when my kids were seven and four, you know, and relocated. They relocated uh, to Kansas City with their mom. And, well, I would say that even my marriage with Carol was in trouble. And uh, I was just self-centered, self-absorbed, self-occupied, you know, too much about me, you know, not really respecting as much as I should this profession that I was in, you know, and I don't hesitate to say that. Just to clarify, Larry's wife is named Carol, too. 22 at the time of this uh, stroke, it was this high publicity case, you know, this public official that I was involved in, you know, in you being journalist and, uh, you know, the good work you've done in media, you know, on the front page of, of the paper the day after, there's a picture of me in court with the defendant. In the back pages, there's an article, Villeman suffers stroke. So the important thing was put on the back page. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, it turned out to be the important thing, you know. That, that's something I never really thought about it. But yeah, yeah. Here's the part where Larry, his loved ones, his admirers would ask God, why? Why? Larry was 35, fit, successful. But as he lay on the floor of that courtroom, he, like Phyllis felt something otherworldly. I had a mystical moment myself when I was heaped on a floor, you know, and I just heard the Lord saying, be patient, move slowly. You really heard those words? I heard those internally. Be patient, move slowly. Get in the moment. Like uh, after I had this spiritual awakening, you know, I thought, what do I do with this? Do I go run off and uh, feed pagan babies across the world? Or, you know, what do I do with this? Larry's body slowly healed, but he could not for the life of him figure out how to decipher what that internal voice was trying to tell him. Until Phyllis Cottle walked into his office in 1985 and informed him she needed the meanest, toughest attorney in Akron. She wanted to sue the parole board for granting her attacker an early release from prison. No one had ever successfully done that, and she needed the best. How did it turn out to be good for you, like beyond the case, beyond the parole board? You know, that was been a year from the stroke and everything. And although I suffered a seizure in November 85, too, so it must have been uh, related to the stroke uh, when I thought I was really back on top of my game. So that was another kick in the ass. But, uh, you know, I almost quit the legal profession. Both of us were in recovery at the time I met her. You know, I was still recovering. You know, physically, I was doing okay. and uh, But the recovery where we most connected was the spiritual and emotional dimension to recovery of any kind and the grieving of any kind. That's where we connected at a deeper level. And I just wanted her to know that along the way, I was going to be respectful 
of her own grieving through all of this. And when I use the word grieving, uh, I, I'm talking, I once heard a definition of grief, which really applied. It's the conflicting feelings you experience when you go through changes in familiar patterns of behavior. You know, like, and both of us were plucked out of familiar patterns of behavior, both of which in some ways were even somewhat self-destructive spiritually and emotionally, you know. What do you mean? Well, the one thing I say that I, I don't want to ever forget, and I don't know at what point in time, this was after we were, you know, become pretty good friends and we were uh, soul partners too. All right. And uh, one time we were talking, uh, I said, uh, Phil, if you could go back to March 1984, your sight is restored. You're well, you know, physically. You got it all back together as it was back then. Would you go back there if that kind of miracle could happen? And she says, no, Larry. And and as we were talking, essentially what she was telling me was, Larry, I have a sense of meaning and purpose about my life right now that I never had back then. She said, you know, in her own way, you know, she was alive and she was well and uh, she was heroic and she was a leader. You know, she was being recognized as a leader. People saw that name Phyllis Cotto, whether it was in the blind center, you know, or victim's assistance or you know, whatever she was doing or just her recovery in and of itself was inspiring to people. How did she pull that out of herself? Because I don't think I would have. You know, how, how was she able to answer it in that kind of way? Yeah. I, I think it was a, yeah, that sense of meaning and purpose. When she was working, uh, you know, and uh, after what she'd been through, you know, and marriage and everything, and she was just kind of making it day to day, I don't, I think, you know, and uh, now she was kind of alive. It was this expression of herself that was serving people and bringing other people to life. And she herself said, God help me. And along the way, you know, and those three words that I had said, you know, after the stroke, I just said, I need help, you know, because I was on a path that was just self-destructive, you know. And in her own way, she had experienced the destruction of so much of uh, what she was all about and uh, certainly the but one. what a high price to pay to find purpose in your life. She paid a high price. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm struggling with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, again, why I again, don't compare what I was going through with what she was going through. But, uh, oh, certainly. But it wasn't, I want to sue that bastard necessarily. I want to sue that, you know. You know, she could have had all of that. But I think along the way through the trial and everything else, I mean, she didn't have any warm feelings for this guy, obviously, you know. But uh, I think she knew, too, that she had to move on, focus forward. And, and when she was having that suicidal thinking and everything, and she kind of reached out to God as, uh, you know, as did she, did she tell you about that? That no, no, no. Do you believe that? I mean, just thinking about that, she said she felt a hand on her shoulder. Yeah. I'm not a very religious person. Yeah. I want to believe that, but yeah, when, when nor you, was she. Really? Well, no, she was not a she was not a churchgoer. We used to talk about that. We used to talk, uh, you know, you know, I wasn't, you know, uh, raised in Catholic tradition, but you know, I wasn't going to church, you know. And that goes back to when my dad died when I was just fifteen, you know, and uh, I had never grieved that loss along with the loss through the divorce and all, you know, I just stuff it, 
And then I'd stuffed so much of the emotionality of it all. And again, without me trying to impose my experience on Phil, I, I wanted to encourage her that she could speak freely. I wanted her to vent whatever the emotion was. You know, I'm not a strong believer in negative feeling, positive feeling, that kind of thing. A feeling is a feeling. More when we return. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Like when she was talking to you about her pain, what what were those times like? Oh, we we shared a tear with each other, you know. And uh, I like to think it's because uh, helping to contribute to an atmosphere which she felt safe and real, and she could just be Phil. So when you shared a tear with her, what was that like? You know, and I uh, I can't answer the question. I, it was just, and looking back, I could certainly answer it. But, you know, but I want to be real. You know, I just, uh, well, if anything, when we shared a tear together, you know, it was, uh, to me, that's what lawyering is all about. We have our boundaries. People come to us, after all, because we are lawyers and we have some certain legal expertise. And that's what they're seeking out. But also, you know, uh, uh, this is a profession and it's about relationships, you know, and just because somebody walks into your law office and says, I have a legal problem, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is a legal problem. And, and as I said, we have boundaries, you know, or, or is it legal? You know, well, is that the end of the end of the inquiry here? You know, is how is this resolution of this going to contribute to you in the course of direction of your life? You know, how is this going to give you meaning, more meaning and purpose? Because I almost quit the profession. You know, the other thing that uh, 
Phil and I shared in this grieving process was cause and pause to think about the course and direction of our life. You know, like she would have been the first to tell you, you know, she assured that she pray to a presence beyond her. God help me. Uh, yeah, she did. And did I say, uh, you know, I need help? Yeah. You know, and even though, again, without comparing mine to hers, you know, was it a near-death experience? Yes. Come to Jesus moment, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But the blessing, well, she, I can't say it for her because, you know, she shared the blessing of the recovery, the blessing of what was going on in her life, the blessing of this renewed sense of meaning and purpose. You know, but I almost quit the profession because uh, having had the cause and pause, you know, to think about the course and direction of my life, and I had one hell of a spiritual awakening. What role did she play in you continuing the profession? About the time I'm going to quit the profession, because you know, I could not reconcile the spiritual awakening, you know, with the work I'm done. I'm not knocking lawyers, you know, unless there's enough people that do that. But, you know, I just didn't see that word vocation, you know, that we growing up, you know, that was the priests and the nuns and the rabbis and the ministers, you know, they had vocations. The rest of us just bust our asses, you know, you know, and maybe uh, hope to get some uh, sprinkling of grace at a wor- uh, weekend worship experience, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that didn't make this sacred secular dichotomy. Just I didn't embrace that. I'm saying, oh, wait a minute. You know, and, and that's where we, Phil and I connected to the spirituality of everyday life, the spirituality of relationships, the spirituality of service, the spirituality of leadership. You know, two words on my heart about Phil was servant leadership. She became a heroic leader. In the blind center, as a woman, you know, and back then in the 80s, you know, that voice wasn't being heard either. I decided I was going to re-enter, re-enter my profession, you know, with a new sense of meaning, purpose, with a new sense of vocation, and with a new sense of what this profession is all about. It's about relationships. It's about service. And it's not all about me. It's about them. It's about others realizing the best in themselves. You know, I'd made the decision. I was, and I was re, I was doing a lot of reentry, you know, and oftentimes when I'm out talking to grief recovery groups, I talk about reentry. I was reentering my marriage with a new sense of meaning and purpose and this beautiful woman here. Uh, we've uh, been married since uh, 1979 together since 77. She and I met when I was in the prosecutor's office, you know, and, uh, Phil, what she did for me was she more or less was encouraged what I was already doing. And in my way, I wanted to be encouraging of her in what she was already doing. You well, know? Because when we're young, we're ambitious and it's all about winning and achieving and going. And that's where I was. And the way, yeah, and the winning and, uh, and looking, looking down the road, you know, peace, you know, and so do what you're doing. And when the, when the, when the Lord put that on my heart and be patient, move slowly, enter the moment, let it unfold, you know, it's, and also it's not what we do. It's how and why we do this work that we do. That's important. How and why are we doing it? Wow. That's so beautiful. Yeah. 
Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage is a signature show of the Killer Podcast Network. If you enjoy this series, please subscribe and rate it on your favorite listening apps. And discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com. If you want to know more about this issue or about Phyllis Cottle's case, go to my website, carolcostellopresents.com, or visit my Facebook page, facebook.com slash carollmu, facebook.com slash carollmu. Blind Rage is a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts and Carol Costello. This episode was produced by Chris Iola and me, Carol Costello. Additional thanks to audio engineer Sean Rule Hoffman, contributor Nyjah Galladay, production director Bridget Coyne, and executive producer Gerardo Orlando. Original music is composed by Timothy Law Snyder. Our voice of the court is Douglas F. Bailey II. All of the information in this podcast came from my memories of the event. Phyllis Cottle, her family members and friends, former law enforcement, prosecutors, former and current journalists, police reports, and court documents. I've tried to tell this story factually to the best of my ability, but sometimes memory fails. It's been a long time, but my goal is simple. Phyllis was an amazing woman, and her story of courage should be shared. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.